Okay. Yes. All right. Let's start. Good evening, everyone. Good day, everyone. This week's uh, Parsha of Chayesora uh, deals with the uh, final uh, chapter in the life of Avraham Avinu. <clears throat> now, there's a process here in Chumash Breshis that we've all been uh, witness to. Uh, Adam and Chava are created. He hoi saw aim kol choi. She is the mother of all human beings. So there's a general classification called humanity. Kol choi. That includes everyone. Then as the Mishnah Novos points out, there are 10 generations from Adam to Noah. In those 10 generations, uh, differences occur. In the natural uh, progression of human society, there are different people, different societies, different kingdoms. Unfortunately, what united all of them was evil. So the second progression is Noah. The aim kolchoi, the experiment, so to speak, with all of humanity didn't work. That all of humanity should be uh, entrusted, so to speak, with the task of godliness in the world. So that's left for the messianic era. That's left for Hashem uh, That's left for a. Uh, a time that we have not witnessed yet. That all of uh, humanity should be able to worship God and live a godly life. These are prayers that we say on Rosh Hashanah. Everybody should come to worship you. The farthest islands in the world the most primitive natives, the most sophisticated professors, everyone should come. But that's pretty much a messianic dream. Because in the pre-messianic world, in the world that we find ourselves in, cannot be that everyone. It's too diverse. It has too many problems, too many different backgrounds, too many different ideas and ideals. And therefore, what ends up is when you try to do all of humanity, you get evil. Because evil is the lowest common denominator of human behavior. 
the lowest uh, rung of human behavior that everyone can identify with is greed, selfishness, violence, the inability to make room for others. That's common to all of humanity. And that's why the history of the world is what it is. Wars, revolutions, all sorts of things. Hatreds, always perpetuated. Because you're trying to deal with all of humanity and that doesn't work. So then comes Noah. We're going to start. Noah is like uh, the restart button on your computer. You know, you put everything off. You turn everything off. Can't get it to work right. We're going to start again. Now, Noah is not all of humanity. He has three sons. Shame, Chom, and Yophis. These are different, not only different races, uh, but these are uh, completely different societies, uh, different goals, different uh, uh, views of the world. So uh, it's refined down. We're not, we're not going to deal anymore with everybody. So Yefes, Yaftelakim Liefes, Vishkon Bale Shape. Yefes has his place in the world. Chom has his place in the world, even though he committed terrible sin against his father. But one that we want to concentrate on is shame. Shame becomes a Rosh Yeshiva, so to speak. The famous idea of the yeshiva Shem Vaver. So he undertakes, shame undertakes to be the representative of godliness in the world. That's what he sees his task to be. He doesn't see his task to unify the whole world. It says, If he wants to come and live with shame, good. But shame is not going to be able to change Yefes unless he wants to be changed. You know, the old bad joke is, uh, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And they say one, but the light bulb has to want to be changed. Doesn't say anything about Chom anymore. Chom, Canaan, the seven nations that are living in Eretz Israel, that we're not dealing with them anymore. So it winnows down the progression. Noach to shame. And again, the Mishnah says, Asura does Minoach Avram. And they also missed the boat. 
that were individuals, like shame, like Aver, like Malkitzedek, who is shame. There are individuals now. Just as Noah was an individual. But generally speaking, this doesn't work either. The division into the three categories of shame, chum, and yafas. So chum and yafas, to a certain extent, also sink to the lowest common denominator. And the lowest common denominator of humanity isn't being inhuman. And then it says, But now comes Avram Avinu. And here the Torah emphasizes what is Avram Avinu. I know that he will be able to create a people. He will be able to see to it that his descendants will observe the Derech Hashem, will remain godly, will not succumb to all of the pressures that the world brings upon us. And therefore, it is the uniqueness of Avraham uh, that he is able to establish something, (coughs) excuse me, something permanent, eternal, forever to serve the Rabboni Shalom. Now, the Rabboni Shalom changes the name of Avron to Avraham. Why? I have made you the father of many nations. So the greatness of Avram Avinu and which is the charge of the Jewish people throughout our existence, is to be unique and alone and separate and different and yet influence the whole world. Be the major driving force of civilization, of morality, of the better part of us of what Abraham Lincoln called our better angels. So that's Av Hamon Goyim Nesaticha. I made you many nations. And you're going to be the father of many nations. And there are many nations in the world that claim Avram as their father. Even though Kibi Yitzchok Yikori Lechazora, only through Yitzchok will you survive. Will the winnowing process continue? Savram has two main sons, Yitzchok and Yishmael. Avram again thinks that he can have both. 
But Sora realizes that he cannot have both. That a choice has to be made. It's, so to speak, triage. And therefore she says, And it says, Avram is, he's saddened. He's depressed because of this. Because he thought he could have Yishmoel too. And the end is that he hears from heaven that Sora is correct. And therefore he has to abandon the idea that he can have Yishmoel also. The Boni Shalom says, I'll take care of Yishmoel. He'll be a great and mighty nation. He will exist. But he is not the vehicle for holiness and piety and godliness in the world. That is not his task. That's not what he's here for. And that's why it says the Torah describes him, he's a great archer, he's a great athlete. He builds a physical world. He becomes numerous and conquers. And we see the whole Middle East. But he is not the ambassador of the Rabboni Shalom in the world. That remained with Yitzchak. Now we read at the end of today's Parsha, Avram had numerous other children as well. The Bnei HaPilakshim. There were women, uh, concubines, however we'll understand it, that Avraham fathered children from them. In his lifetime, there's a discussion in the Mephorshim, when did he have these children? Most of the Mephorshim seem to think that he had them after Yitzhak was born, and really after the time that Sora died because he lived uh, to 175. And when Sora died, uh, he was uh, 137. So almost another 40 years. That's when the Bnei Apilagshim were born. There are others uh, that, uh, that uh, ascribe it to earlier times, but in any event, there's a group of these people that are the children of Avraham. Just like Ishmael is the child of Avraham. We know nothing about them. The Torah gives us names, but to us uh, the names are almost meaningless because we don't know anything about them. And Avraham sends them away. And he gives them matanot, it says. He gives them 
gifts. He doesn't send them away empty-handed. He gives them gifts. So uh, the, the simple explanation, if we look at the Pulsic, we would say he gave them money. He gave them goods. He gave them the ability to make it in life. He gave them an education. He gave them gifts. And he sent them away from Yitzchak. That there should be a clear delineation between them and between Yitzchak, who is his true heir. Now Rashi says here, a famous uh, Rashi, what were the gifts that he gave? So Rashi says, shame to Mosar Lahem. He gave them an, an unclean name. What does that mean? What is shame tuma? And this, there's, a, there's literally a literature written about it. What, what is the Torah trying to tell us here? What is Rashi rather trying to tell us here? And that's a medrash that Rashi is quoting. That he gave them shame tuma. So there are a few insights here that I want to share with you. Because that, I think, helps explain in a uh, minimal way uh, certain of the events and ideas that exist in the world today in our societies and the struggles that we face. One interpretation of shame Tuma is that he taught them monotheism. He taught them there's one God. He taught them the faith of one God. Tuma, but it became defiled by them. They couldn't grasp it in uh, its entirety, in its uniqueness, in its simplicity. So one became three, etc., etc. But that's the idea of shame tuma. That he gave them the name of God, and they defiled it. It ended up being not what it was supposed to be. And that uh, throughout history, uh, we're witness to that over and over again. Christianity in its essence is basically Judaism defiled. Made unclean. Stripped of its uniqueness. Overlaid with idolatrous customs and ideas. So he gave them a great gift and they squandered it. And because of that, we see that uh, slowly but surely, uh, the gift has little value anymore in the world. It's not appreciated. It's not followed. 
in Europe, uh, it's said that 80% of the population, if we take out the Muslims, don't go to church, period. Europe, which is the heartland of Christianity. And the United States is getting there too. And it looks like an irreversible tide. So that's one idea of shame tumor. That originally it was a great gift that Avram Avinu gave to the Bnei Apilakshim, to his offspring, but they corrupted it. So many times you know, we know that, you know, you can give a great gift and it can be squandered, be ignored, can have no value. I, uh, but I was a rabbi in Miami Beach, so people, uh, I guess when they emptied their apartments, used to bring their Hebrew books and deposit them on the doorstep of the shul. And I was always interested in books. So most of the time it was Sidurim and Machzorim, Chumoshim, you know, the people didn't even want that sentimental value of having their mother's or father's prayer book with them. They got rid of it. But once in a while, there was a treasure there. I found the first edition of the responsa of the Chacham Tzvi, of Tzvi Ashkenazi, published in 1712 in Amsterdam, the original mint copy. Somebody threw it out. He didn't know that he even had it. He didn't know what it was. Some book in Hebrew, so what does he care? That's squandering what you have. Not appreciating what you have. And uh, that is a uh, terribly sad uh Terribly sad occurrence. The second interpretation of Shem Tuma is that he gave them what we call superstitions. Kishuf. Now, uh, Maimonides is of the opinion that all of the kishuf and magic is phony, doesn't exist. He calls it achizav senayim. It's a type of mag magician's trick where he diverts your eyes so you don't see what is really happening. You think he's sawing the lady in half. But the world believes in magic. The world believes in superstitions. In the eighth uh, chapter of the Tosefta on Shabbos, there is listed all of the superstitions that existed 
1,800 years ago. Every one of them is still here today. You want to know about black cats, about walking under a ladder, about magic numbers. All uh, were there. There's a very interesting uh, sidelight to that, that the Tosefta says that if a person erects a uh, metal pole over his chicken coop, so it depends if he does so for magical reasons, then that's an issue to do so. The prohibition to believe in such superstitions. The Lord our God did not give us these kind of superstitions. However, the Tosefta says, if he does so because of thunder and lightning, if he uses it as a lightning rod, then it's permissible because that helps. That's natural. So you see that 1,800 years ago, the Tosefta knew about the lightning rod before Benjamin Franklin. But Shem Tuma is magic, superstition, a world that, that's superstitious, that believes in all of this nonsense. And uh, we have to admit that a lot of it has crept into us too. You don't live a thousand years uh, in Poland without becoming a little Polish. And you've got uh, Polish superstitions. But that's not the worship of God. The worship of God is not based on superstitions. It's not based on magic. In fact, uh, I, if one can be bold enough in, in the misfortune to say it, that it's not even based on miracles. Whatever happens, happens. Loba shamayim he. It's not, well, who cares? You know, the... Rabbi Eliezer said, let the, the water run backwards the river, and, and it did. And Rabbi Yeshua said, so what? I don't care. You can perform all the miracles you want. It's not going to change what, what's true. So Shem Tuma refers to this idea of superstitions in the world. And that's a diversion from truth. Avraham meant to, to help them. We'll see in next week's Parsha and told out Eliezer whether Eliezer asked correctly that a miracle should happen and Rivka should come out and feed, drink, give drink to his camels, etc., etc. Now, we're not supposed to be a people of superstitions. That's what's he sent them away from Yitzchak. Yitzchak is not superstitions. The third interpretation, which perhaps is the most optimistic of them, <laughs> is shame Tuma Masar Lahem. He warned them about Tuma. 
He warned them what kind of a world this could be. And because he warned them, they had a chance to prevent it. But they didn't. And by not doing so, again, they squandered the opportunity that was given to them. And there is nothing as uh, frustrating as squandering opportunities, not allowing them to come to fruition. A missed chance for greatness. So he gave them something and it ended up nothing. And he warned them against it. Shame Tuma Musalahem. He warned them that there's a thing in the world called Shame Tuma. There are a lot of negative things in the world. Stay away from them. Be positive. Do good things. And they squandered it. And they became the Bnei Pilakshim. Yitzchak, who had the one opportunity that he knew of, he followed through. And through him, the Jewish people were built. So that's the progression from original man, from Odom and Chava, from Eim Kolchai, to Noah, who's at Sadik, but his three children, Shem, Chom, and Yophis, already are different. Tavram Avinu, who has to somehow winnow his way through Yishmoel and the Bnei Apelakshim until we get to Yitzchak. And in next week's Parsha, we'll see it has to go even further. That the vestige that is Esau also has to somehow be separated from us. And only through Yaakov do we become Yisrael and do we become the eternal people, the Bnei Yisrael that remains until this very day. So I want to thank you all for listening. Have a great Shabbat. Stay well. And we'll hear good news from each other. Kol Tuv Selah.